Welcome to the Social Dallas Podcast. Today you'll hear an uplifting message from our pastor, Robert Madu. I'm glad that you made a decision to come to church today and church outside. Would you give yourself a hand because you showed up today? Come on, that's a big deal. Big deal. I think you get an extra crown up in heaven because you'd be like, God, remember that day? Remember that day it was hot? I was fanning. I was there, Jesus. I was there. So I'm so glad you're here, and I hope you'll show up next Sunday. It's going to be awesome. We'll be back at Gillies for our 10 a.m. service and our 6 p.m. service. Can I preach the Word of God to you today? Again, if you're new to church and maybe you're used to preachers that shout at you and yell at you, well, well, let me say this, I do shout and yell, but in a good way. Um, you're not going to get beat up today. You're going to get built up today. Come on, I think if you come to church, you ought to be encouraged. I got enough bad news. How many want to hear some good news, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ? And that's what I want to share with you today. And I know it feels like we're doing spiritual aerobics, but would you stand up one last time, just one more time? I'm trying to keep you cool. Come on, stand up. Just out of respect for the word of God. How y'all doing over here on the side? Can y'all make some noise over here on the side? It's the VIP section. How y'all doing back there under the tents and in the back? Can y'all make some noise back there? Y'all good? Awesome. I, I shouldn't do this. This is horrible of me to do what I'm about to do because we outside. I'm about to preach. I already got you standing. And this is like the worst service to like read a long scripture, but... I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm going to read the scripture. I'm going to read this obscure passage of scripture. Very few of you have heard of this scripture. It's long, but bear with me. And some of you are going to be impressed. You're going to be impressed because usually I look at the screen for the scripture. I'm not looking at the screen for this one. I have memorized this verse. I've memorized this entire verse. I don't want to show off, but let me make it do what it do. Here we go. Here's the verse. It's in John chapter 3, verse number 16. And it says, from the dome, watch, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He sent his only son that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. Can you say amen? You're not impressed that I just did that from my head? Did I get it right? All right, you can be seated. We've been in a series at our church called House Rules. Really, we've been saying our house rules. The series is called Open House. We talked about how we're a house of prayer. We believe that God wants to communicate with you. This is a house of prayer. We talked about how we're a house of presence, that we host the presence of Jesus. But today, we talk about our third house rule, which is house for people. We're a house for people. Would you just look at somebody around you? Just look at somebody around you. Look at all these people. Look at how diverse this group. We got old people in here. We got young people out here. We got black people out here. We got white people out here. We got Hispanic and Latino people out here. We got all kind Asian people out here. We are a house for people. Somebody say people. And here we have a scripture that everybody's heard where it says that God so loved the world that he sent his son. He sent his son for who? For people. He sent his son for people. I, uh, I have a lot of friends that are preachers. Don't hold it against me. I have a lot of friends that are preachers. And I think the reason a lot of my friends are preachers is because we understand 
the unique nuances of our lives. Our lives are different as preachers. And so a lot of my friends are preachers and uh, we also get how we have the daunting task of having to have something to say every single week. Ooh, have you ever thought about that? Like, you know Sunday comes every week. Every single week, we have to have something to say. Sunday comes every week. And I'm not trying to look for like a pity party, but come on, y'all, that is some pressure to have to have something to say from God. Every single week, have something to say. I mean, anybody want to try it? Can you imagine? It's a statistical fact that the number one human fear, public speaking, Public speaking, the number one human fear, the number one fear is not airplanes, it's not another shutdown, it's not snakes, not lions, not tigers, not bears. The number one human fear is something I got to do every single week. It is public speaking. It's the number one fear above death. Above, that means ooh, people would rather have their funeral than speak at a funeral. That means if you ask most people, you're like, no, put me like this. Before you ever give me a microphone, I am not trying to say anything to anybody. And so, because I have a lot of preacher friends, we often talk about what we're gonna talk about. And not too long ago, I was talking to this preacher friend of mine from New York, and he said, bro, you gotta help me, I'm preaching this week. He said, I need an illustration. He said, I need an illustration for something that's hidden in plain sight that I didn't know, but when I found out about it, it changed my life. I said, hold on, what? He said, I need an illustration for something that I didn't know that was hidden in plain sight, and once I found out about it, it changed my life. So I started thinking, I was like, what can, I said, oh, bro, I got you, I got you. I said, why don't you use an illustration talking about the gas tank arrow on your car? He said, the what? I said, bro, use an illustration talking about the gas tank indicator arrow that's on your car. My friend's from New York, he said, bro, what are you talking about? I said, I gotta preach the whole sermon for you. I said, bro, all you gotta do to set up the sermon is talk about the frustration of driving somebody else's car or having a rental car, pulling up to the gas station and stretching your neck out the gas station like you a giraffe, trying to figure out which side is the tank on, Google searching Ford Focus, which side. Just talk about the frustration of pulling all the way when you thought it was on one side and realizing, ah, it's not, and having to get back in your car and get, just talk about that when the whole time there's an arrow on the dashboard. My friend got so quiet on the phone. I said, hey, did you hear me? He said, yeah, I heard you. He said, when did they put an arrow on the dashboard to let you know which side is on? I busted out laughing. I said, hold on, bro. You mean to tell me you don't know? like, no, I didn't know. I laughed so hard. He said, all right. I said, well, well you got your illustration now. Use that. We got off the phone, and isn't it funny? Isn't it funny? Isn't it funny how the thing that could change your life, the thing that would stop all kinds of frustration and pain in your life, sometimes the thing you need the most is right in front of you, and you don't even see it. Some of y'all are still lost in this illustration. Put, the, put it up there on the screen. Isn't it crazy? The gas tank indicator arrow as much as you've looked at your car and dashboard. You missed that little bitty arrow right there. Every car has the arrow letting you know which side 
the tank is on. Somebody got blessed right there. You can go home. You're like, I, I didn't even know. It's crazy that the car manufacturers never intended for you to be frustrated, sticking your neck out, trying to find the arrow. But sometimes the things we need the most that will help us are right in front of us and we don't even see it. That lets me know whoo, that just because you looked at something, it doesn't mean that you saw what you needed to see. Just because you looked at something does not mean that you actually saw what you needed to see. And I thought that was a great intro to this message because I read John 3.16. And you should have seen the bougie church people's faces when I said John 3.16. I saw some of you like, oh, for real, this is what I came outside for? Because you know John 3.16, you floated in here, you had manna for breakfast, you know all about John 3.16, you've heard it quoted, you've seen it on Pinterest boards, but I'm telling you, we need to look at this verse that we think we know, because sometimes you can look at something, and just because you looked at it, doesn't mean that you saw what you needed to see. I want to look at this familiar passage of Scripture, John 3.16, because the fact that some of you rolled your eyes when I read it, lets me know that sometimes you can see things and not really see what you need to see. Sometimes you can look at something and think you're looking at the thing you need to look at, but you weren't looking at the thing you need to look at and you didn't see the thing you needed to see. Ooh, let me see if I can do it like this. Um, all my ladies in here, would you make some noise, some crazy noise? Ooh. All right. Ladies, make some noise if you've ever shopped at Forever 21. Ooh, you ain't even see it. All my fellas in here, would you make some noise? Yeah. Fellas, you gonna let the ladies do you like that, please? Fellas, would you make some real noise up in here like the Cowboys are gonna win the Super Bowl this year? <laughs> fellas, make some noise if you've ever eaten that In-N-Out burger. Yeah. I hear you, player. Ooh, you didn't even see it. Sometimes the thing you need to see, you don't see. Ladies, all those tank tops you bought, 15 for $3.95. You didn't know when you was putting the clothes in the bag that in the bottom of every Forever 21 bag is John 3, 6, 10. Fellas, you didn't even know when you eating that animal style burger, extra fries, extra sauce, and then drinking your Diet Coke. <laughs> like that's gonna help. <laughs> That on the bottom of the Diet Coke at every in and out is the verse we just read, John 3, 6, 10. It's interesting, a verse we think we know. Sometimes the familiarity robs us of the power of the verse. I'm telling you, if all the Bibles were taken up and we were only given one verse of Scripture, John 3.16 would be the verse for you to keep. All that you need for theology and salvation is in John 3.16, the power of that verse. Martin Luther said that John 3.16 is the gospel in miniature. It is the thing that can bring delight to saints and solace to sinners. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son. God so loved the world. The verse that we just breezed by, we don't know the power of it. I was studying the stories around this verse and one that blew my mind, especially because it's football season, the story of Tim Tebow, now sports analyst and used to be an athlete. And story goes, when he was in the championship, 2009, playing college football, he put under his eyes John 3.16. He had been putting Philippians 4.13, but he said, it's gonna be a lot of viewers, let me switch it up. He puts John 3.16, and after that game, 
94 million people Googled, what is John 3, 16? Fast forward three years later, he's playing his first playoff game in the NFL on the Denver Broncos versus the Pittsburgh Steelers. And he said, it's my first playoff game. Let me do it again. And he puts under his eyes, John 3, 16. Finishes the game and his PR agent comes up to him and says, do you realize what just happened? He said, yeah, we just won the playoff game. What are you talking about? He said, no, no, no. Today is the exact date three years ago that you put John 3.16 underneath your eyes in college. He said, oh, that's cool. His PRA just said, no, no, no. You don't understand, Timmy. He said, Timmy, today you completed 316 yards passing. He said, today your yards per rush were 3.16. Yards per passing, 31.6. He said possession time was 31.06. He said tonight when CBS aired this game, 31.6 million people were watching you play football. He said John 316 has been trending all over Twitter and Facebook. He said, whoo, 98 million tonight. Googled, what is John? 316. And when I read that, oh, I started having church. I said, whoo, don't you tell me that life is just luck. Don't you tell me that life is just happenstance. Don't you tell me that things happen by accident. No, there is a God in heaven that moves things around, that has a sovereign real. That oh, I started having church. I started shouting. Half of me was shouting at all them 316s. But the other half of me was confused, trying to figure out how 98 million people had to Google John 3.16. I'm sorry, I'm a church kid, so I'm trying to figure out how you don't know John 3. 98 million people? Well, who are you raised by, savages? You don't know, I mean, come on now, no condemnation, but John 3.16 is up there with David and Goliath. That's the one you're supposed to kind of know. That one, like Mary and Joseph, come on. That's the one you would think you would know. How did 98 million people not know John 3, 16, that's confusing to me because let me be honest, I'm a church kid. Any church people in here today, you raised in church, raised in church, you know how we do. We, we know these things. Our parents told us all the Bible stories about it. We're the know-it-alls. We're the people that rolled our eyes when I said John 3, 16. I was raised in church. I'm talking about old school church. We couldn't even celebrate Halloween. We had hallelujah night. Had to dress up like Bible characters. <laughs> I mean, ain't no ghost in here but the Holy Ghost, okay? So don't go on somewhere with that. Hand out, we're the only one in the neighborhood handing out scriptures on the big piece of candy. Take the scripture off the candy. Them kids don't care. Just give them the candy. Church people, so I know it all. I know the scripture, but sometimes I forget. There's some people that don't know. Oh, yeah, there's some of you in here today watching online. You don't know. Oh, and can I please tell you, you are so welcome here, even if you don't know. As a matter of fact, I think it's beautiful if you don't know. Can you imagine getting to read that verse like you've never heard it before? See, this is the tension in life. Sometimes the people that know it all, because they think they know it all, they don't know anything. And it is their knowledge that stops them from knowing. And on the other hand, the people that don't know anything think they're somehow disqualified because they don't know what all the church people know. But but can I tell you, sometimes it's when you don't know that you are closer to God than you think because God can work with somebody that has a heart of humility that says, I don't know. Woo! I'm telling you, don't ever feel ashamed if you're in church and you don't know. If you went to your friends and said, ooh, I'm telling you, I was reading the book of Job last night because I need one. 
like the book of Job. Yeah, whatever. I'm telling you, it's power. Don't ever feel ashamed if you don't know. In fact, you got more hurdles to climb over if you do know. This is the challenge of the Bible. This was actually Jesus' ministry because Jesus always wrestled in the tension between the people that knew it all and the people that said, I don't know, I don't know, maybe there's no grace for me because he was always in between. He was always in between the religious people and the ratchet people. He was always in between the people that thought that they didn't need grace because their works qualified them and the people that said, I've dismissed myself and I don't even get to have grace. He was always in between. He was always in the tension of the scholars and the skanks. He was always in the tension between the theologians and the thoughts. Can I say that? He was always in between the people that thought they knew it all and had it all together and the people that said, there's no way God can accept me. And he tried to reach out to both of them because he so loved. He so loves the righteous that need to know that they need him. And he so loves the ratchet that think they're too messed up to come to him, and he was always in between. No wonder his position on the cross was in between. He had to be in between those two thieves on the cross because what he did in his death is what he did in his life. He was always in between because he so loved humanity, reaching out to the ones who thought that their work saved them, reaching out to the Jew, but also reaching out to the Gentile, the outsider that thought that their sin disqualified them. He was always in between. Somebody say between. Say it like you had some coffee, say between. Say it like you're gonna wake up your neighbor, say between. The power of a savior who so loved because he was in between. Ooh, that's why I like Luke 15. Read it when you get to the crib. Luke 15 is all about a savior who's in between. Remember Luke 15, Jesus is teaching one day and he's hanging out with shady people, sinners. This is what our minds can't comprehend. You realize Jesus hung out with people that you would have canceled him for. When he came to earth, he did not go to the Bible colleges. He went to the strip clubs. <laughs> he would have been right around there. He would have been right in their proximity, waiting for them to get off work to have a conversation. He would have been up in it. Hold on, pause. I saw somebody run with that like he would have. <laughs> he was always in between. He, that's what I like, Luke 15. He's hanging out with sinners, tax collectors. Jesus had a reputation for hanging out with bad people. And as he's hanging out with bad people, the religious, pretentious, stuffed up, stuck up, Pharisees come up to him and they say, why are you hanging out with these bad people? Don't you see them, Jesus? They don't even know John 3, 16. They were probably Googling it before they came up here. And he goes up to them and they want to know, Jesus, why are you hanging out with bad people? And I love the way Jesus approaches the Pharisees because he could have looked at them and just said, you want to know why I'm hanging out with them? Because I am the son of God, lightning and just zapped him to death. He didn't do that. They wanted to know why he hung out with bad people. He didn't even give them a sentence. He gave them a story. Read it when you get to the house. It's a three-part story. He talks about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a father who had two lost sons. He talks about a shepherd that had 99 sheep, 100 sheep rather, he loses one and he leaves the 99 to go find the one. And once he finds the one, he comes back and they have a party and turn up. 
He talks about a woman who has a set of 10 precious coins and she loses the coins in her house. Ain't nothing worse than losing something in your house and you knew it was in your house. You're like, who, what little, is there a little troll coming up in here taking stuff? I knew this was in my house the last time. She loses the coin in the house and sweeps the house and cuts on a light and all of a sudden she finds the coin and when she finds the 10th coin, she calls everybody over and they throw a party and they celebrate. And then he goes to the final story. I'm sure you've heard it. They call it the story of the prodigal son. That's a bad title. It's the prodigal sons because both of those boys were lost. Both of them needed help. Both of them needed the father. One son said, Daddy, I need my inheritance now. Goes out to Vegas, turns up for a month in Vegas, living a wild life. Finds himself in the pig pen of life. Says, I'm not even worthy to go back home. He said, I'm not even worthy to see my father again. You know how you do when you find yourself in a place that you never thought you would get to? You find yourself in a situation that you know you got yourself in. You know how the enemy gets in your ear and say, don't try to go to church now. Don't try to come to Jesus now. You the one that did that. You the one that slept with him. You the one that did that. You're the one that made the mistake. Don't go back to God. You're done. You're finished. And can I just stop this sermon right now and tell you if the enemy has ever whispered that in your ear, the devil is a liar. You can always come back home. Your father is waiting to receive you. That's what he does in the story. This boy don't even want to be a son. He says, I'll come back and be a slave. He doesn't even get to the house. And here comes his daddy running like Usain Bolt. Just running after that boy that wasted his life. Doesn't even wait for him to take a shower because you can't clean yourself up before you come to God. You come to him just as you are. He puts a robe on him and gives him a ring and throws a party and says, I'm so glad my son that was dead is now alive. My son that was lost is now found. They throw a party and then there's the son, the know-it-all, the other son, the older brother who's out in the field going, oh, I'm so glad I'm not like that prodigal brother of mine who doesn't even know John 3.16. I'm a know-it-all. And uh, wow, I know dad's proud of me because I didn't leave. I stayed here and I just worked the land and oh, wait, wait, oh, oh, I hear music. I hear music. Oh, they finally throwing a party for me. Hold up, hold up. They know I've been doing the good things. I've been faithful. You know how those people are to think God, God owes you something because you came to church and God owes you something because you read one Bible verse and posted it. Yeah, I better get my blessings. Shoot, I came to church when it's hot. I better get this job tomorrow. You know how you start qualifying your works and say, God, God, you owe me now. You owe me. You see me. Comes home. Finds out the party is not for him. It's for his brother. He storms out mad. And the father goes out again, just like he went after the other son. He says, all that I have is yours. You could have been celebrating the whole time. Why aren't you glad that your brother who was lost is now found? And the older brother was angry and refused to go in. Do you see what the gospel is about? Do you see who Jesus is in the story? He's always in between. The one that went away and thought that grace is too far gone for him and the one that stayed and thought that God owes you because of your works. And that's the story of Luke 15. And that's the story of our Savior. Because he so loves, he stays between. Oh, that's the story of John 3.16. John 3.16 
is about a God who's in between. That's the power of John 3.16. We forget that John 3.16 is a verse that came out of a conversation with this pastor named Nicodemus. Did you know that? That's how we got John 3.16, is because this pastor, this teacher, if you will, came and talked to Jesus in the middle of the night, and that's where we get John 3.16. Not because Jesus was talking to some ratchet sinner. He was talking to a preacher when he said John 3.16. He was actually talking to a preacher when he said, you must be born again. Imagine that. The verse that you think would be used on a ratchet sinner no, God said, I used it on a preacher. You got to start over. Your life is jacked up because you think because you know all those scriptures, you don't need me. You think that because you got all your good works that you can earn the grace of God. Ooh, he reached out to Nicodemus because Nicodemus had the problem that many of us have. He comes to Jesus and says, the first words out of his mouth were, Jesus, I know. I know you're a teacher sent from God. Wrong. He's not a teacher sent from God. He was a savior sent from God. And Nicodemus had to realize that your works and all your religiosity cannot earn you God's love or his grace. It's a free gift that you have to receive. John 3.16 is always in between. It's in between. It's in between. So wait a minute, if he's always reaching in between, Nicodemus represents the know-it-all. Well, who's on the other side? Oh, it's John chapter four. Remember that desperate housewife in John chapter four? She's the one that went away. She's the one that was the outsider. You know what trips me out is nobody ever quotes John 4.16. Have you noticed this? How many of you, be honest, don't Google it. How many of you know John 4.16? You know it. Can I see your hand if you know John 4.16? Not a single hand. And you was rolling your eyes at John 3.16. You don't even know John 4.16. Why don't we use John 4.16 like we use John 3.16? We just take John 3.16 out of a conversation. We ought to use John 4.16. That's in a conversation too. In fact, all the ladies, one last time, make some noise. If you're not married and you're a lady, make some noise. Don't put it up yet. John 4.16 is your verse, okay? I'm telling you, John 4, 16 is your verse. Somebody ought to start a women's clothing line and put John 4, 16 right there on the tag. All the single ladies, that's your verse, okay? John 4, 16. We ought to use it like we use John 3, 16. Just take it out of conversation. You know, John 4, 16, the suspense. Is it killing you yet? Do you know what John 4, 16? Put John 4, 16 up there. This John 4, 16. Go and get your husband. Oh, y'all not going to shout, Okay. You better shout like that's your verse. <laughs> Go and get your husband. Jesus told him. Imagine somebody made a gospel song about John 4, 16. Woo, I've been single too long. Mm, if you know what I mean. Mm, about to get me a man. Mm, John 4, 16. Aye, John 4, 16. Aye. Somebody going to sing that. Wait till this go on YouTube. <laughs> Go get your husband. Let's put that verse in the context of the conversation. She's the one that was the outsider. She's the one that was confused that a Jewish Jesus would even talk to her, a Samaritan woman. Do you realize that to see Jesus talking to that woman that day at the well, that's who she is, would be the equivalent 
of seeing a pro-vaccinated person talking to a no-vaccinated person. That's the polarity. It would have been the equivalent of seeing a Democrat and a Republican just chilling, hanging together. Can you imagine? That was the tension at that time. The fact that Jesus would even talk to this woman. She was a Samaritan. She was an outsider. Her life was bad. But guess what? He so loved her. He so loved her. Hear me today and hear me clearly. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you've done or where you've been. There is nothing so bad that your God will stop loving you. He can't help but love you. And he doesn't just love you. He so loves you. She thought she was disqualified. Here's what I've learned about most people, saved, unsaved, believer, non-believer. Most people know, if they're really honest, people know they're sinners. You don't got to convince them. Most people know, if they're honest, you are hashtag jacked up. Most people know. Most people believe I'm a sinner. That's why some people get sensitive when somebody talks about sin, because you know at your core, you might not ever say it to anybody in public, but you know at your core, there's this feeling of guilt that humanity cannot erase from its soul. Something in us knows I'm broken, I'm missing the mark. We all know original sin. That's why you don't have to teach a kid to lie. Have you noticed? Little Billy come out the womb. Nobody taught him how to lie. Eating a chocolate chip cookie. Did you eat that cookie? No. Chocolate all up in his nose and in his eyes. Did nobody tell him to lie right now? We know at our core that we've all sinned. But do you know what most people find the hardest thing to believe? It's that they can find forgiveness. Everybody knows they're a sinner. I'm telling you, but we don't know that there's a God who so loves you who not just loves you, so loves you, that he sent his son, his only son, to pay the price for your sin. Look at this beautiful Savior worship team, join me, who in his death and in his life is always standing between. He's standing between the one who is self-righteous and you think that God owes you because you're a good person and because of your morality. He stands reaching out, loving the person who thinks if people really knew what I did, if God really knew what I did, newsflash, he doesn't know. And he still loves you. He sits by the well to those people and he stands in between, why? because he so loves people. How many know the mission of our Savior should be the mission of the church? The church has been called to stand between, to reach out to the ones that think that their good works justify them and say, you need a Savior, and to reach out to the ones who think that their bad behavior or that they've sinned too much and that disqualifies them. We reach out to both. We stand in between. What's the power of John 3.16? Is that what Jesus did on the cross, he did in his life. He always reached out as he stood in between. It's crazy that God would love you so much that he would send his only son to pay the price. 
Only God can love like that. I'm telling you, our church is awesome. You should come check out Social Dallas. We're a house for people. Every day of my life, I want to exhibit the character and the love of Jesus to reach out to the ones who think they're insiders but are really outsiders because they know it all, and to reach out to the ones who think they can never be insiders and they're outsiders and that their sin is too bad and disqualifies them. I want to always do that, but can I tell you, there's no way I would give my only son for you. Couldn't do it. I'll tell you the sermon prep I did this week. Y'all can play. Make this sound real spiritual. Sermon prep I did this week. Honest to God, I, I slept in the bed with my young son. I just went up in his crib. You know, only parents can do that, you know. When you walk in and like you just love your son, your kid so much, you just watch there and just watch him sleep. Come on, any parents, be honest, you ever just done that? That's that so love. <laughs> Look at that nose. Look at them eyes. My son, good looking too. Takes after his father. And all this week, all this week, I just went in his room and I just got in the bed and I just looked at him, just watching him breathe. Just watching his face. I have two daughters. I only got one son. He is by definition my one and only son. And I just was trying to feel a passage that I've preached, that I've heard, trying to imagine. How do you give your son to pay the price for sins he didn't commit? This boy came home from school the other day and said, my friend Isaiah said he don't want to be my friend. He was mean to me. I said, Isaiah said what? He said, Isaiah said he don't want my friend. He was mean to me. Real talk, I almost pulled up on the school and said, point him out, point him out. Where's Isaiah? <laughs> I will kick a kindergartner in a high pain, just low key. That's the emotion that rose up. I wouldn't send him to die for somebody else. But yet God so loved, he said, I'll do it. I'll send him to pay the price. And here's the thing. He did it on a maybe. He did it on a maybe. I wouldn't even do it if there was a guarantee that you would surrender your life. But this Savior so loved, he said, I want to at least give them the option of life and death. I want them to have the option to have relationship with the creator of the universe. Why? Because I so love him. I so love him. If you're a parent, you know, especially if you got a bunch of kids, you're only as happy as your happiest kid. Come on, you got six kids, five of them doing well, one of them's messed up. I don't care what you do to celebrate the five, there's still something in your heart about that one. There's something in your heart that says not till 
not till not till he comes home not till she comes home that feeling that's on the inside of you come on if you being an earthly parent feels that how much more about a God that has a pure love that has an eternal love that has an everlasting love that is love that is love personified don't you see how he sees it he looks at every single person in humanity and he says it's not until they come home it's not until they surrender I won't have rest and peace you're looking at people trying to dismiss them but you've never looked at a person that has not held the image of God every single person you pass in the street has the divine fingerprint and image of God on them and God said that's my kid and not only should you treat them like they're my kid but there ought to be some compassion on the inside of you that feels what I feel and say not till they come home it's what we want to be a house for people a house that says you can always come home. A house that says that God doesn't just love you, he loves you uniquely. Loves you with all your issues. Loves you with the way you snore. Loves you uniquely. And just like he did to the prodigal sons, just like he did to Nicodemus and the woman at the well, this God of John 3.16 stands between and he's reaching out today to the ones who think that your good deeds and your good works justify you and to the ones who think that all the bad you did disqualifies you. And all you have to do is so easy. It's so easy people don't believe it. All you have to do is just believe. Believe that he's the son of God. Believe that he paid the price and receive the free gift of eternal life. Would you stand to your feet with me all over the yard, wherever you are today? Somebody just say believe. Say believe. Whosoever believes in him won't perish you have everlasting life. Not whosoever behaves right. It's whosoever believes. I like the way one writer says it. He says, the gospel is broad enough to include the worst sinner who believes, but it's also narrow enough to exclude the most moral, religious, good behavior person that doesn't believe. We are believers and you receive the free gift by just saying, God, I believe. I'm asking every head be bowed, all eyes closed today. That's why the enemy, he'll attack your belief. He'll do it by any means necessary. He'll make you hate church people that don't reflect the character of Jesus and make you think because they did you wrong, God will do you wrong. What is he attacking? Your belief. He'll do it through trials, suffering. Some of you 2020 knocked the faith out of you because the lie of the enemy got in your mind and said, how could I go through this if God so loves me? 
rather than looking at the miracle that you're still here and you're still standing and that even if you lose a job, you haven't lost God who is your provider, that you're still standing. You thought you were going to lose your mind and look at you, you're still here. What does he attack? Your belief. All those trials you're facing right now, what is he coming after? Your belief. Because you receive the free gift of eternal life, not by your behavior, by believing. He'll do whatever he can to make you think, come on, man, you're wasting your time. God's not even real. Okay. Okay. That's what I love about our church is whether you attest to the fact that God is real or not, there's still a place for you. You ain't even got to believe to belong. We'll still hang with you. You can still have coffee with us. It's, it's, it's cool. But if that's your struggle, that he's not real, I just, I would just encourage you to look around the heavens tell the glory of God. That's what the Bible says, that you could even be able to perceive through creation that somebody had to make that. Can you imagine an artist creating a masterpiece, a piece of art that takes your breath away? And for whatever reason, nobody captured the artist that painted the masterpiece. And the artist didn't sign their signature on the bottom. And somehow, some way, this art piece showed up in the middle of downtown and closed in glass. Can you imagine seeing this beautiful piece of art that nobody knows who did it? Can I tell you what the first thing any person that sees a masterpiece says? Who made that? Is the question of every masterpiece that you see, who created it? Nobody's ever looked at a masterpiece and gone, oh, that just happened. You always want to know who made it. Can I tell you, you are God's masterpiece. Humanity is his masterpiece. We are the crown of creation. He so loved us. Something in you ought to make you look this world and go, somebody had to create that sunset for God so love. I don't know who I came for today, but I do know that God is reaching out to some of you. You might have been in church your whole life, but you think your behavior qualifies you. And God's saying today what he said to Nicodemus, you got to be born again. You keep trying to try harder to get God and you don't try harder. You got to start over and come to God in humility and say, God, I can't do life without you. I need you. My works, my good behavior doesn't justify me. I'm calling out to some of you today who think your life is too wretched for God to reach you. Have you read the Bible? There's not a sin in the earth that's not in that book. And yet the grace of God is all throughout it. So in closing, I don't want to belabor this, but I'm going to ask every head be bowed, every eye be closed, and just ask nobody moving in this moment. This is really a holy moment. If you're here today and you be so honest to say, I, I need to encounter this love, this God who doesn't do love, he is love, and he so loved you. Hear me, you are not here today. You didn't pull up here today on the side by accident. Maybe you even prayed before you came, God, give me a sign. This is your sign. 
Maybe you're wondering, how come everything he's saying is something I've been feeling? It's because you're God's masterpiece. He created you, and he so loves you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're out here today and be so honored to say, that's me, I'm, I'm one of those. You're either the Nicodemus who thinks it's your work, so maybe you're like that woman at the well that thinks you're disqualified. I wanna give you an opportunity, hear me, to come home today to come home. We say it as social all the time. You can always come home. You can always come home. His presence is where your home is. If that's you, would you just lift up your hand high enough and long enough to where I could see it to say, today's my day to come home, to come home. Yeah, yeah. I see those hands. Anybody else? I see hands all in this middle section, even in the back. Anybody else right here to the side? Thank you, God. Come on, that is the beauty of this moment. Hear me. All God wants is your honesty. I'm telling you, you don't have to clean yourself up to come to him. You can't clean yourself up. Come on, if you could, you would have done it by now. You come to him just as you are. All he needs is your belief. There is forgiveness. There is grace. No matter what you've done. Anybody else just lift it up and put it right back down. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Here's what I'm going to ask. I don't want to belabor this long, but I'm telling you, I saw so many hands. I'm going to ask you to do something so bold and so brave because I believe that today is a landmark moment. Today is a day that you're going to say, I'll never forget that day at Strauss Square on a hot Sunday. I'll never forget that day where I said, God, I'm coming home. I want you to do something so powerful. I want you to get out of your seat. When I count to three, I want you to just come up here to the front. Why? Because I think there's something powerful about leaving where you are and stepping to a new place. It's a picture of what God is doing with your spirit. Come on, the old you is going to die, but the new you is going to receive the free gift of salvation that he paid the price for. So if you lifted up your hand, or you should have lifted up your hand, when I count to three, I just want you to come up here to the front. We have some friends. They're going to pray with you, but before they do, I want you to just come out of your seat, and don't be alarmed when you hear people giving God praise and clapping their hands, because this ain't a church of perfect people. These are some people who did the same thing you're about to do. They said, please don't think I got it all together because I'm a Christian. The reason I'm a believer is because I'm just a hungry person that found the bread of life and I'm trying to tell some more hungry people this is where the bread is. Come on. If you lifted up your hand or you should have, I want you to come. One, this is your moment. Two, God loves you so much. Three, would you come? Would you come? No matter how far you got to walk, no matter how quick you got to come, no matter who you got to move out of your way, I want you to come up here. Come on, he so loves you. He so loves you. Just come all the way up here. Come on, I wish I had some people that would give God some praise. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever, 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 whoever would believe in him, you don't have to perish. You can have everlasting life. Come on, they're still coming. I wish I had some people that would do what the angels in heaven are doing right now. They're rejoicing. Come on. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Anybody else? Anybody else? Your life is not an accident. You are not an accident. You 
are a masterpiece. You're a masterpiece. And when people see a masterpiece, they want to know who was the creator, who made it. God created you. He knew you. He knew you before you were ever formed in your mother's womb. It doesn't matter if people around you didn't treat you like the masterpiece that you were, that you are, but God says, I'm always reaching because I so love. Anybody else, I want to give one more opportunity for somebody else that says, I need to come, I need to come, I need to come. Because I know how the enemy will tell you, man, don't go down there, man, don't do that. Man, he loves to attack what? Your belief. But I'm telling you, today is a new day for you. That shame can come off of you. That guilt can come off of you. That anxiety can come off of you. The pain of your past come off of you. Come on, you're not what your mama said you are. You are a child of God. You're not forsaken. He never left you. Anybody else? Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Here's what I want us to do. Those of you there at the front, if, if you can, I just want us to pray this prayer and then some of our team are going to pray with you personally. But can we all over this place? I love doing this because this is the international sign of surrender. Okay, where you go all over the world, whenever you see somebody doing this, that means you surrender. If you ever new to, been new to church and you're like, why do they lift up their hands? That's simply us saying, we surrender for God so loved the world. When I lift up my hands, I'm saying, I am not God. You are God. I don't know anything. All I know is that I've been saved by grace. And so I lift up my hands to surrender. I want us to all lift up our hands if we can. I want us to pray this prayer. I'm just giving you the words, but it's got to be your heart that connects with it and believes. And I want us to say it as one big family right here at Strauss Square today, especially those of you who are responding. Can we say this? Say, Dear Jesus, my hands are lifted because I surrender. My hands are lifted because I cannot do life without you. I need you. Thank you so much for not just loving me, for so loving me that you paid the price for my sin on the cross. But you didn't just die for me. You got up from the grave for me. And you're alive so that I can have life. So from this moment forward, I give you all of me. My heart my soul, my mind, I am forgiven. Somebody needs to just receive that right there. You are forgiven. No more tears of shame and guilt. You are forgiven. You're not condemned. You're forgiven. In Jesus' name, come on, somebody say amen and give God the best praise that you got today. We would like to thank you for being a part of our social global family. Please head to our website, socialdallas.online, and see the many ways you can stay connected with us from around the world.